1: An awful lot of coffee, an awful lot of coffee Man, they got a gang of coffee in Brazil
2: Hey, welcome everybody, this is Jory, Jorianne the Coffee Psychic with your psychic connection right here at Blog Talk Radio So tonight we have a wonderful show um, as I shared with you guys out on Facebook and here on Blog Talk, I had um, the chance to get out to see MUFON this last year. I was so excited. I've waited over 20 years to do this. There were so many amazing speakers, and I had the opportunity and privilege to meet this gentleman, Tom Reed. Uh, when he did his presentation, I'm telling you guys, it was astounding, uh, astonishing would be the word, actually. And uh, Tom and his family have been documented as uh, as one of the only cases that's been certified by the government to be a true abduction case. And uh, not that there haven't been tons and tons of other people that haven't abducted. We know that they have been. But for the government to take this seriously and to look at their story and um and there's so much more that tom has gone forward with because of his experiences as a young man the things that happened to him uh, what he's doing for people what he's doing for um, bringing all of this stuff out into uh into the communities where people can see that this is true uh the government's been involved everything it's just amazing so I'd really like to welcome Tom to the show and ask Tom to share his story. Tom, welcome. Hey. Are you there?
3: Yeah, I'm here. How are you?
2: Hey, I am so great. Thank you so much for coming on tonight.
3: Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, yeah. so it's been, uh, what, uh, four months maybe since
0: we
2: At
3: ran into each other? <laughs> yeah. So I, I wouldn't even know where to Hanson. start. With, uh, where do you yeah, well, we I mean, can you again. tell
2: our listening audience what actually? I mean, what happened? You were six years old, right? I'm sorry. You were six years old when this incident happened. I think it was September 1st, 1969.
3: <laughs> no, it was nine. No, it was nine. Yeah, it was nine. You were
2: nine. Okay, uh, thank you.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, there, there were actually um, multiple events that were happening um, in the area in the 60s. So, um, so a lot of people focus on. 69, which I have to focus on also because uh, it's really the one that uh, most people are familiar with. So if I start talking about another incident, sometimes there's some confusion. But, yeah, there were um, multiple uh, events. The first one that we were uh, part of was in 1966, and I would have been six years old at that point. And the one, next one that um, I guess that made a lot of noise, if you will, and headlines in the newspaper and everything was 1967. And I don't talk about that too much, but it is important because the, what we saw in 1967 was not, not only went out in the newspaper. I mean, I still got the newspaper article to this day because they re-ran it. The uh, Berkshire Eagle re the news article, and I have a copy of it. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it talks about the spheres that we saw, and it talks about um, where it was in Sheffield. And, and, uh, and so when we started talking about that, and we started um, openly talking about it, that's when we got a lot of heat from the locals. And so a lot of people think, you know, we were getting a lot of uh, hard time, if you will, in 1969 when we weren't. It was like a reckoning. Uh. So, to give, yeah, so to give you an idea, um, in 1967 we had the diner. My mother had a jukebox in there and, and was kind of known for deep frying or, you know, French fries and bacon fat and all that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. uh, it was across, across the street from a school and down the street from a, a horse track. And so, a lot of people came into the diner because if you wanted a decent meal and listen to music, there was no other place to go. It was the only spot in town. So people that were working on the space race would come in there. You know, government would come in there. They were mining from magnesium from lime mines that weren't too far away. And so you had, um, you know, the police department. They, the police uh, detective and the chief, if you will, they would eat there. It was like the one spot. For everyone to hang out and so that's how all the, the communication started between people and later on how it got inducted into state as an historically true event because of the uh how our diner divided the community that was really one of the key mm-hmm. points in how it got inducted into state but in 67 at the time we had just moved there you know we were only in town maybe i don't know three years maybe and um so we were kind of we were outsiders we were from new york and, uh, and so my mother would kind of share with people, you know, what we saw. It was a small-town diner, and, you know, we would talk about, you know, uh, you know what we saw, you know. And, and they thought, wow, these are nutty people from New York, you know, there's something wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because at that time, nobody else was witnessing what we did. But we also had a property that was very high. We had 80 acres of land, and so we had a good view of things. And, and so anyway, that's when everyone turned on us, you know, we – Wow. We had a lot of people that were very, um, you know, just mean to my mom, would follow her down the road and start fights with us in school. And it was a lot of that. But in 1969... Now, wait, why
2: would they do that, though, Tom? Why were they, like, upset with your mom or something?
3: Because we were talking about, I guess, UFOs at a time when people thought it was, you know, not something you spoke about.
2: Got it. Okay.
3: You know? So... Yep. It was just a... The mocking, you know, us from being out of town and uh, not locals. And uh, it's not like today. I mean, 1969 was much different than today. You know, you, you didn't even in the 80s and 90s, it wasn't something you wanted to discuss openly. People make fun of you, you know, that kind of thing. And that was what was happening right. then. That's what was happening to us. You know, we, were the, the, you know it was, we lived in it. This was a country community. Sheffield, Massachusetts was so small, it didn't even have a middle school. And so pretty wow. much everyone knew everybody. You know, it was kinda of like a small town community. And here are these guys come into New York and they're talking about UFOs and it just was not a good fit for that community. It's the best way to word it. Yeah. But in nineteen sixty nine it happened to be a holiday, so a lot of people were were outside. And with that a lot of other people actually saw much more than we really did the first time around, if you were, or second time around. Get, there were three objects, and uh, it was, there was like 250-some odd witnesses to it. It went out on the radio station. There was an awful lot of people who worked for the, the, uh, the space race, and, and so there was a lot of, um, you, you know, eyes to the sky kind of thing because there, we were working on the space race. There was like hundreds of millions of dollars that was filtered into the Berkshires in Massachusetts back in the day. Uh, as NASA used to be in Boston. And so you had Sprague Electric, you had General Electric, um, you know, Command Aerospace, uh, Sikorsky. Um, Sprague Electric is actually the company that made the Goodwill message that went to the moon. And the people that made or forged that uh, medallion, if you will, those people who worked at Sprague Electric, uh, they worked on the space race, ate in our family's diner. So wow. they knew my family. Yeah. Okay. And so that medallion was given to NASA and placed on the moon along with the flag, just six weeks prior to our incident on September 1st. And so that medallion that was made in, you know, down the road from our restaurant is now on the moon. Wow. And the people who worked on it, you know, listened to the music in our jukebox. And so, mm-hmm. so with that, from 67 to 69, that is when a lot of them came in our, our restaurant, in between that, you know, that window. And so that's when all the talk came up. That's when everyone was talking about things, you know. You know the, so we, were, we saw something, we talk about it. The locals thought we were crazy, but those working on a space race, they weren't, didn't think we were so crazy. You know, they're like, there is something going on, you know. We're not alone kind of thing, but we're still trying to beat Russia to the moon. and So there was a lot of that space talk with the people that were kind of came in from out of town to work at these manufacturing facilities. And so that night at September, that September 1st night, we're on our way home. And, uh, so we, we had a chef, our our cook chef, whatever was working late. We had to re, you know, let him go home. It was a holiday. So we were working till like nine and, uh, sent him home and cleaned up and we're taking a shortcut to our house which took us through this old covered bridge in Sheffield. And um, as we entered the bridge, uh, you know, it was kind of a, it was a very hot evening, like it was abnormally hot. And uh,
0: Mm
3: -hmm. my grandmother, you know, kind of commented that the amount of light that was coming through the planks and the boards of the bridge were not, not making sense with the, with the headlights. You know what I mean? It was just, she kind of it just looked wrong, like things were reflecting or whatever. And mm-hmm. as we came up the other side, I had, was giving my brother a candy. And my grandmother turned around and said, oh, you can't give him that. You know, it's a, you, know, you could choke. And when she did, we saw this sphere. And again, it was probably the size, three or four times the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. Wow. And it rose out of the water. It, like It wasn't in the water, but it rose from the banks. And it hovered at about two stories high. And um, off to the right, there was another sphere, but it was much smaller. It was um, like, a, like an orange, too. It was um, closer to the water and around the bend. And my brother okay. had seen that first because it was on his side of the car in the back seat. And so we kind of split them as we went down this dirt road. We kind of like r- went right between the two. So like one would have been maybe at um, 7 o'clock and the other one was kind of at maybe from our car, maybe 3 o'clock. So we kind Mm -hmm. of split them on a bit of an angle and continued down this dirt road. And there was an area where you pulled over, you know, uh, trucks would pull over to work on the power lines and things like that. Because this was not really a a road. It was more like a a road for horse and buggy, really. But, you know, so two cars, if they came towards each other, couldn't get around each other. So there were these little areas where you could pull off to the side to let the other car go by. And that's where he pulled off. It was near a telephone pole. So it was like this little area where you could get off the road. And we parked there, the car was running, the headlights were on, and we were all like looking out the windows to see where these things might have went because as we split it, there's a lot of trees and you couldn't really see anything. So we're like looking out the window, like, okay, where'd it go? You know, that kind of thing. you see anything over there, Matt? That kind of thing. And that's when my mom was the first to notice that there was this huge, like, disc hovering at like three stories, and it was on the size of a football field. I mean, this thing was huge. And I've gone back several times, and we looked at the tree, looked at where the telephone pole was in conjunction to where this thing was hovering, and it was at least 100 yards. And Jan Green used to discuss this in um, Unsolved Mysteries. You know, oh, she again. said the same thing. I mean, it was so friggin' big, you couldn't even see it from end to end. Mom. And, um, yeah, it was, this was big. This isn't like some fairy tale nonsense. I mean, this was right there. It looked iron, it looked like it was steel it looked it had a pewter and goldish swirl to it uh, the The middle of it had lines in it, it looked like the skin of a snake around the middle of it, and it was wow. very, very fat. The top and bottom were very narrow, but the middle of it was fat so it it was and so to give you an idea, it would be like um if, like i've mentioned before, like two turtle shells if you took the two turtle shells and sandwiched them together. It had that kind of hard, you know, kind of as dark uh, look to it along with these lines. And that's what it looked like. But did you – now, I've said before that it had, like, lights, right? And you could see a light from it. It didn't have any, like, floodlights that shot down to the ground. It didn't have any any, like, beams of light coming out of it itself. It was the shell of it just kind of put off, like, this reddish tint. And – the back of it, or I say the back of it, but the left side of it didn't put out any light. But the right of it kind of put out a sheen. And that's what my mom saw because it was probably hovering there for a while. And then the sheen took over it. So it was like the, the entire first half of it or a third of it, it was almost like someone just flipped a, like a dial and, and turned it red.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, so, you, so it, was, it lit up and then you could see the whole thing. And, and so this we're was separate, at this Tom, this yeah. big
2: thing was separate than the first two that you described that you guys caught a view of?
3: Yeah, there were three objects. Wow. wow. I showed that in, the, this, in my continent at uh, MUFON. I showed, like, where we were and how we came out the bridge and we split the two spheres and, and how the, we were actually in the middle of, like, three objects, like, like in the middle of a diamond, you know, a pyramid, if you will, Breaks right back in yeah. the middle. And, and so the first, the sphere that first rose from the water, and I don't think it came out of the water, it just rose from the banks of the water, that also had light to it that was like a two-watt bulb, you know, the way I word it, like a very crisp ball. And mm-hmm. it actually at one point shot like these fired these, like, uh, I would say like rods of light that kind of came to a point at the bottom. And so for a minute or two, it looked like an ice cream cone. And so. H of aliens actually showed this like ice cream cone thing going down the road, but it, yeah. it didn't. Like, what when we saw this thing move, it we only really moved maybe I'm gonna guess 30 yards, and then we could we never saw it again. And the orange one we only saw for like 30 seconds or so, and it was gone because that was sitting and we drove by it. But this thing we sat and we looked at this thing for a long time. I mean, we when I say that I mean a good three or four minutes. I mean we were just staring at this thing. And what was kind of strange, too, is all of a sudden now we started to feel very different, um, like, okay. like a pressure change. Like if someone holds you underwater, like deep underwater,
0: mm. you know, you,
3: you, you've got the, the pressure that's on your chest, your pressure in your ears, you know, you, it's like you can only get down to water so far before you, you feel uncomfortable, like your head's going to pop. Totally. You know what I'm, Yeah, it was kind of like that, and, um, but not quite that extreme. And then there was this tapping sound. Like, I, w- I had an MRI once, and I heard the boom, boom, you know, tapping sound of an MRI. It sounded yeah. like an MRI, but much higher pitched, almost like mm-hmm. stones hitting underneath the fender wall. Ting, 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 like that. Oh, wow, and then so your pressure. car was
2: making noises also. Wow.
3: No, it wasn't. The car wasn't making any noise. The car was parked. Oh, but oh I'm sorry. Sound. I thought
2: that was getting necked on. Sorry.
3: No, no, it sounded like that, like it. If you were driving over pebbles, ding, 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 that's what it kind of sounded okay. like. But we were already parked. We were watching this thing. The car was off. The car was running, but, I mean, it was in park, and it, there was nothing on the tires that would have done that. And so uh-huh. you're hearing this tapping sound. You're feeling this pressure, and we're looking at this thing as it slowly kind of emits a light. And it was, all this was happening at the same time. And so I'm looking at, you know, back and forth with my mother, and the, the windows were open. There was no glare. And all of a sudden, you know, it was just like, boom! The whole freaking car, like, just it was engulfed in light. And it wasn't like a dome light or something. This was just super bright. And I remember I could see the floorboards. I could see everything in the car. I remember seeing the back of my mom's head, actually, and uh, you could see the interior. It was like broad daylight. And mm-hmm. and then, you know, it was like all of a sudden it was like surreal, and then. The light goes off, and then everything kind of goes back to normal for a moment. You can hear the leaves, and you can hear the frogs and the crickets. You know, it wasn't muted anymore like like you would be under a pool, you know, a pool of water. It was just, bang, everything was normal again. And then that's the last thing we remember from being in the car. And then the next thing I, I saw was like in this, like, area, like a like a large, um, you, you know, like an airplane hanger type of thing. And the reason I say that is because when I, when I remember looking at what I did, there were like tubes of light in the corner, the corner of the wall where it met the ceiling. So that you had like a fluorescent tube. It looked like that, you know, I'm not saying it was, but it was like a fluorescent tube, a space, a light, a space, a light, of space. And I remember like sitting up on something and looking and seeing this light where the wall met the ceiling and pretty much everything else was open. I don't remember seeing anybody in, in there. Then my I was grabbed by my left arm and I was pushed through the, this opening and down a hallway and into another room. And uh, and then there was something. It was very really different. It almost the the wall bowed inward. You know, like um, you know, like the coffee can has that round center to it. So it kind of bowed inward, not outward. And uh-huh. um, there was like it looked glass, almost like a glass and and uh and there was a pocket to the left of it and a pocket to the right which looked like there were doors that went out to another area. And um I was like sitting on this table that reminded me now of an autopsy table where it has like a pole in the middle. And okay. uh and so like you could spin, almost like you could spin it, you know? And mm-hmm. uh I was sitting on this thing staring at whatever this was in front of me, this wall, and then there was this—you know—for a moment or two, I—I I saw someone next to me, and it's like fragmented at this point. I went from being very scared to very comfortable, to being scared to being comfortable, like this. Whatever this was was coming and going. It was like rhythmatic. Yeah. And uh, and I saw like what looked like that ant. You know, I think I showed that at the conference too, like this
0: yeah. ant head
3: and. It looked like like a football, like the size of a football, but it was reddish. And it had uh, like stick legs and like bamboo legs. And I lived in Florida a long time, so I kind of used that analogy or description or depiction, if you will, of what the lake looked like. And the arms looked like bamboo and was about that size, maybe a little bit bigger. It looked like, like a giant like bug or something. And, and there were two of them, and they were looking directly at a wall. I don't know if it was robotic, you know, alive, I have no idea. But mm-hmm. it was a very strange looking thing and and uh and then I got scared at that point. Like I said, one minute I'm cool, the next minute I'm scared. And I ran. I ran out the right side of this boat in area and I found myself in this large open area like the size of an empty Walmart.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: there were markings on the on the ground. And what was interesting about the hallway was that it was like a like a circle, but yet it had like hallways that would have formed like a Y. So so you could picture, you know, like the letter, you know, like a Y and put it over a circle. So you had these Mm -hmm. two hallways at the top and then this fat one at the bottom. And I always thought maybe it was like to govern traffic, like you could come in one area, you know, because one was thicker than the other. Like maybe this whole thing was a way of, of handling a lot of traffic. Or for people walking or vehicles or something. I have no idea. But it was just big, empty, and odd-looking. And I got grabbed. I got brought back into the room. I could hear my mother screaming. I could hear her calling my name. I could hear her voices. And mm. uh, I'm assuming it was my mother. I don't know if it was for sure, but it certainly sounded like her. Mm. And uh, my brother went through something very similar to me, but he wasn't next to me. I never saw him there. And uh, I was brought back on this table. In that same room with that glass in wall, and uh, I did not, did not see the insects again. Um, the table I was on rose up, and while it rose up, there was this device in the ceiling that lowered, and it kind of sandwiched me into, you know, one piece came over the top, one piece, you know, so it was kind of like a, as the the one from the ceiling lowered, the one that was on the piece that I was on rose, and they kind of worked in conjunction with each other, and. Mm-hmm. So then I, I got this apparatus over me while I'm about, I don't know, four or five feet off the ground, and uh, there were holes in the side of it, and uh, the, the hands came through, and I just, you know, I remember not having much clothes on, and uh, there were these things that were um, put on my skin, like adhered to my skin It looked like um, large black raisins, and wow. uh, they just... Would, put them on my skin and, and I laid there and uh, I don't know what was in it but I think my body either absorbed something or um, you know they extracted something from me I don't really know you know what happened there but um, were you really feeling
2: scared at this time Tom I mean do you remember being scared during this this period
3: well not so much I was kind of coming in and out of different moods and fears and, and, um, like a placidness and, uh, you know, throughout this. But yeah. at this point I, I basically just stayed there. I, I, I remember I could, I, I remember looking over my body and being able to see that this apparatus or this cage type of thing that was over me was not that tight to my body.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: It just wasn't like, I, I, I asked myself, you know, why didn't I run again? You know? And I don't know why, because I, it stayed about maybe six to eight inches above my chest. And um, so I must have just been kind of, you know, out of it, you know. Um, Yet yeah. yeah, I remember, just like the car, you know, and other times when this would happen, my mother would, would see my, my brother's nice, you know, my face and say that, my God, you were like placid, you weren't responding to anything. Yeah, when we spoke to her later, you know, we remember clearly. So it's kind of like, you know, we're alive inside, but our bodies aren't. I mean, I was like, yeah. your mind your mind is going, but you cannot, um, but your body's not responding or um, at certain times, like my mom would try to talk to us, we wouldn't answer her and then she'd grab us and take us into the house, but um, you know, we remember that like it was fine, but, in, but when she retells it, it's like we were just like mannequins, you know. Mm-hmm. And we were, and so that's kind of I think what happened here. You know, we, uh my brother and I were just <clears throat> we went through the same thing, but in different rooms. And he had a brace okay. on his leg because he had a club club foot. He remembers a lot of attention to that. And and uh, wow, but yeah, well, so we got when we um ended up um I, I guess back at the car we. You know, my brother's head was on my leg. I was passed out. My mother was passed out. My grandmother was now in the driver's seat. And so this, what I'm going to tell you now, came from my parents, mostly my grandmother. So, so here we are, thinking, like, what just happened, right? My grandmother's like, you know, did this just happen? You know, you're you're struggling with what the hell was that? Well, she's in the driver's seat, and the car is now off, and the headlights are off. And when we saw the craft, we were looking at this craft, the car was running and the headlights were on. So the the ignition was on, the lights were on, the engine was running. And now she's back in the car and she's in a different spot. She was in the passenger seat, but now she's in the driver's seat. Yeah. And so weird, right? So the car's now off. The keys are still in the ignition. And so she starts the car because she doesn't know what's wrong with my mother. You know, we're not responding. And so she takes the car, she goes down the road turns around, and goes back to town for help because town was only like a mile away where our house is like four miles away, or believe five miles away. Okay. So she mm-hmm. goes back to town thinking maybe 15 or 20 minutes had passed when in fact, it had been three hours. When she, It was almost 11. We had left wow. at 8.30. So when she goes to go back to town, she misses the, the intersection, if you will, to get into this area where the shops are, kind of like a green and had Kind of coming, you know. She was in a, so out of it; she went right by it. Turns around, comes back, and parks up in front of Silk's restaurant, um, Silk store, which is, by the way, still there today. You can get sandwiches and things like that, but it's not. It's more of a convenience store. Back then, mm-hmm. it had bicycles and strollers. It was like your local, you know, play like your local general store. Okay, that's really what it was—a yeah. general store. Mm-hmm. And she gets out of the car, opens up. You know, the driver's door which was right next to the entrance door so she had pulled up where the driver's door would you know open right into their entrance door so she gets out and she starts walking inside and I'm coming to about the time that she's getting into the store and I see her and I'm calling my mom trying to my, my brother's passed out his head's on my leg and, and so no one's responding to me either and I don't know what the heck's going on and I'm starting to have all these memories and thoughts about what would just happened. so I'm like Nana 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 you know And she never even turned around to acknowledge me. She just kind of walked right in. And uh, she walked right by the clerk and went straight to the back of the store and, for whatever reason, got, like, tangled up in, like, bikes and strollers like she didn't know how to get up, like, get back to the... You know, like, she was so confused that she got lost in all this. And so I started grabbing her hand, and I'm pulling her hand. I'm like, you know, you know, nana, nana. And um, so she finally... um, you know, starts walking by the, the register again to leave and uh, stops, talks to the owner of, of Silks, but he never called the police, never called the paramedics, never called anyone. But at the same sure. time, all this is going out on the radio that people were seeing these UFOs or seeing this activity, if you will. And, mm-hmm. and so unknown to us, Tom Jay, who was the, disc jockey at the time had gone home. He was a ham radio operator and he heard people on the ham radio talking about, you know, what they were seeing. And so he had called the police department. His wife was making them there, you know, that kind of thing. And so he called the police and just said, what's going on? And so the police actually asked Tom J who was the disc jockey for, for uh, WSBS radio 94.1 FM It was AM back then. And he went back to the, the radio station and actually got on the air and said, hey, could you guys tell me what you're seeing out there? Where's the stuff that we're going to report about? Wow. And there was also an event going on at Jug End Resort where you have like a semi-professional golf tournament. And, uh, and so they had witnessed this too and actually had called in uh, to the police and so on and so forth and called the radio station to report what they were seeing, which was this craft pretty much right over our diner. And so wow. we didn't have any idea this was going on at the time, but if we had actually called the police knowing that they were looking for something, chances are this whole the whole thing would have been different because they would have came out we would have showed them where it was. So okay. we didn't really know at the time that they were looking for this thing. We were so out of it, if you will, and shaken and, you know, this surreal thing that just happened. We were trying to deal with that as a family. And mm-hmm. my, we're all looking at each other like, what just happened? Because we all kind of came out of this thing at a different time, which is unusual. A lot of people say you know, they come all out of it at the same time or what have you, but we didn't. We all came out of this at like within like three or four minutes of each other. And so I'm I'm kind of coming to now, I'm kinda getting my, my bearings together and we're she's still talking to the clerk, but he knew something was wrong but I don't think he ever told her. And we got back in the car and left. And the next morning we opened up the diner like like everyone else, you know, going to work, right? Get up, you go to work anyway. And as we got in, my mother had turned on the radio, and sure enough, they had a bunch of people calling in, and they had replayed things that, um, you know, people from the day before had, had said, like, hey, you know, we saw this over this area, and, and uh, so-and-so and I saw this over the lake, and so Tom J. had played a lot of the conversations that people had, uh, that he had recorded the night before when he had called in the, uh, to report report something, and so this is why I think it was such a reckoning for us, because at that time, no one had believed us because that incident took place in 1967. You know, we yeah. we were like ostracized for that, right? We were like, you guys are nuts. But now that this was coming over the, the radio and mm-hmm. so many other people had seen it in this small community, you had like the locals going, oh, that's Billy. I know Billy. You know, I know Susan. And, you know, using those names as just, a you know, like Kind of like a simile or metaphor, but, but um, you know, they they were recognizing these people that were calling in. And mm-hmm. so, uh, and some of the people in the restaurant had actually seen something too. So now, you know, these locals are going, yeah, well, yeah, I saw something last night too. I don't know what it was. And so suddenly we weren't the crazy ones anymore. You know what I mean? Suddenly everything changed and, you know, the people were actually apologizing to my mother. Maybe not that day, but over time, you know, I'm sorry we didn't believe you. You know, you yeah. know. Listen, you know, we get it now. You know, on behalf of my brother, I apologize. It's kind of one of those things, and uh-huh, um, uh-huh. and so that's kind of what that. I think. There was so much that we saw, and so much that how that affected us. You know, we. I used to sit on top of my parents' stable where they had horses, and I would just look out all over the fields and 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 feel like I belonged out there. I didn't belong where I was, and. I used to picture wow. this fork in my head, like, you know, I should have been, I should have gone right instead of left, you know, and and I just realized that everything that I, um, or I surmised at the time that everything that I was taught to that point, you know, wasn't true. You know, I was in church, right, and and, and I it kind of challenged my beliefs, and, and I used to be an altar boy, actually, and, um, you know, I was like, oh, wow. there's no way, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're from... You know, we're all part of a bigger picture type of thing, you know? Yes. Yeah. And, um, it was tough to, to deal with that and then to, you know, go to school and, and, um, it, it was just very difficult. I mean, it was, it wasn't 2022, you know, it was 1969 and, and, uh, yeah. a lot of people are just very, very stuck on, on what they, they believe and what they want to believe. And, and, um, you know, it's not like there were, like I said, there were no rock and roll stations that you could tune into. There were, there was only one newspaper, you know, one radio station. Um, we had maybe three TV stations on your television that were practically in black and white, right? So these are times when people that lived in rural areas, they didn't, you know, they weren't very informed and there was no way to get informed. And all they knew was that, you know, if they said something stupid or did something dumb, the neighbor was eventually going to, You know, call them out on it. It was kind of those, that type of thing. So, um, yeah, the sighting, um, we didn't realize it either until much later that, you know, it was seen in Pittsfield and Stockbridge and Lenox and Connecticut, you know, Great Barrington. And something else about, um, you know, uh, Unsolved Mysteries was that when they showed, um, and your listeners probably, you know, would, that have seen the episode, Remember the officer looking through the the book, right? Oh, what are the reports okay. from 1969? Well, I want to tell you something. This is how crazy and how ridiculous, um, you know, Unsolved Mysteries treated this. There were no calls that went into the police department in Great Barrington because the UFO was seen and witnessed in a different town. It was Sheffield. It wasn't Great Barrington. Okay. Mel- Mel- Melanie Kurchdorfer, who was on the show, um, she's the real deal and so is uh, Jan Green. You know, those mm-hmm. two actually were the real deal. Um, they were both from the Great Barrington area, but the calls in Great Barrington because of Tom Jay, went to the radio station and Unsolved Mysteries knew that. So when people okay. called in, the calls went to WSBS radio. So picture this, right? You're it's nineteen sixty nine, you're driving around, you got your little AM radio on because it's all you got. There's no FM stations, there's no rock stations, you're in the middle of nowhere, right? You've got your one little radio station that you tune in on your car radio. So that was how they reached everyone. They would use WSBS radio to alert people on their radio. They would go to the station, cut into the broadcast, and say, hey, listen, guys, you know, that's what that was. So nobody called the police department. And so wow. with that, they did show um, Gulotta, the the son at the gas station, who pointed to his father on a painting or something, I think it was a black and white, uh, maybe a fishing trip or a hunting thing, whatever it was, and and mm-hmm. mentioned that, yeah, we were we were told to go to the fields because a UFO was landing in the fields out here. And... Um, wow. Did you see the episode?
2: I, I, have, I was watching some of your... I was watching some of the videos. And... Uh, and it was, I didn't, I don't know that I saw that, that specific one, but there was a lot of stuff that I was watching and the stuff that you had gone through and stuff was just amazing. Yeah. And Did seeing you, some so of the you, other you people that have seen. been out there and stuff. Yeah.
3: So you didn't see the episode that's on Netflix right now?
2: I don't know. I didn't see that yet. I'm going to. And okay. I, I'd like uh, to invite oh. our, uh, our listening audience to definitely check into that because you've okay. been uh, featured on many different uh, TV shows and everything regarding this. Yeah.
3: Yeah, but Netflix the one on Netflix is still still there and you can still see that one. And um yeah. and with that said, that was the one that got most of the attention. But it was actually uh-huh. probably the worst one they ever did. It was the their the you know, my God, the, the uh judge who sealed this uh in you know, and, and uh Oh, I am all over the place. Okay, so let me back up real quick. So so when this happened everything, sixty nine basically put a bow around it and people started to understand that this was a real phenomenon. There's still a lot of activity in the area. And the corn to this day in that same spot grows 15 to 17 feet. And there's pictures of it. It's in the news articles about it. So the corn grows at an enormous rate. They're still seeing spheres there. In 2012 and 2013, crop circles were showing up. This little town in Sheffield, Massachusetts, is exploding with activity. And, you know, so to... And also, by the way, I've never said I was abducted. I'm making that real clear. I've never once said that in my life. I was removed yeah. from the vehicle. I was taken from the vehicle. But we believe we were taken by, you know, by government because, again, you, our, that area was, you know, my God, you, you had the NORAD towers, the Nike missile sites, the Minutemen missiles. This area is only 45 minutes away from New York City. It's like the most rural area outside New York City. And so to protect New York City, and boston in hartford that was the area that was the rural area and it had some very high elevation yeah. and so yes yeah. you had the norad towers and you had one norad tower in dalton and then you had underground nike missile missile sites in new england then you had nasa was based in boston pratt and whitney was actually in hartford but it was only 45 minutes away And then you had Sikorsky. Then you had General Electric, which was right up the road from us. And Sprague Electric, which was one of the – I guess, the low bidder because they got most most of the work for the government. And so you had millions of dollars being just – it just flooded the area. And so you either shucked corn or had a – you drove a tractor or you worked, you know, making these capacitors and parts for, you know, for, for U.S. government and or NASA. And so with NASA being in Boston, that's where they filtered all their money was their own state. And so it, it wasn't uncommon to, to um, be talking in the diner and having you know, guys stand up, hey, man, you can't be talking about that. These are, you know, no one's even supposed to know what we are working on. But, of course, because so-and-so's brother or nephew or sister, you know, worked there, um, you know, there was talk about it, you know. Yeah, but just like you, if you were to talk about you know God or the Bible or something, it's okay to do that in church. But I don't think mm-hmm. you want to in an aisle of five of Walmart and start telling people you're talking to God, right? Because <laughs> that could, that that put you right. You know what I'm talking about? So that's kind of what I it do, was I like do. with our diner. You? you could, you could, yeah, well, you could talk about this stuff in our diner, but you couldn't yeah. talk about it, you know, while you were shopping okay. for groceries. Okay. Right. Yeah.
2: Right. You know, you were just saying that you thought it was the government that that took you guys, is what you said. Did Did you just say that?
3: I've I, I've always said that from day one.
2: Well, I just wanted to know when the government had certified that something happened to your family. What was that about? Well, it was sealed. It was a also, document.
3: Well, yeah, it was a lot of things. Um, but that was also, you know, 50 years later, um, and we're talking yeah. about, you know, a government-funded agency that was working, you know, with the, you know, regarding these all the money that was going into these manufacturing facilities. Plus, you also had the mining for the magnesium for the atom bomb, which was mined just down the road from our diner, and there was also a uh-huh. magnesium spill at one point. So you had a lot of government in the area, and you can't tell me if a UFO was seen and was going out on the local radio with all the government in the area, someone wouldn't have been dispatched to the area. Right. So, you know, yeah, exactly. So, and, and the fact that the ignition was off in our car, the headlights were off and my mother and grandmother were reversed in the vehicle. That certainly screams Mm -hmm. to me anyway, human error. I could be wrong, but it just, you know, I think it would be ignorant to suggest for a moment that there was no reason, you know, that, local government wasn't there involved because, like I said, when we saw this thing, we were parked and we were looking at it for a long time, which mm-hmm. would have given other people time to come to the car and were focused on this thing. So some government agents came out from the woods or whatever, and they have been seen many times back then, you know, with their their radios and their camouflage and their Jeeps and everything. It wasn't uncommon to see that in the area yeah. because of what was happening back then. Right. Yeah. So, So with that, that's why we're pretty certain However, I'm not ruling out something else, but my gut tells me that's what happened, and that's what most people in the area and what the local government also thinks happened. To kind of circle back around to that. So when this, um, you know, but because this was so widely witnessed and everything, when my father, who we left town and he became uh, a mayor and an attorney in Connecticut, Mm -hmm. and he was working for a law firm, uh, Manasseh and you for a while, and ran into this guy. Um, his name was Robert Bletchman, and he lived and worked in Manchester, Connecticut. And he was a a Democrat running, you know, for different local office positions, and my father was... My mom was actually a historian at the time, and, you know, again, my dad was an author, a selectman and all that. And so he had asked my father um, if he would mind if he mentioned our family's incident at the United Nations on October 2nd, 1992, and Mohammed Ramadan, who was the president of the parapsychology society uh, was really looking into revisiting what's called general assembly 33, 426, which okay. was this idea of all countries sharing their information together, you know, just kind of working as a team to kind of, find out what's going on, and and they were researching a lot of information that was uh, dated 1974. I saw these documents myself. 1974. Mm-hmm. My father had a lot of papers from 1974 and to include um, fighter pilots in Mexico that were uh, unable to fire upon you know a, 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 you know a Foo Fighter or an object or, or a vessel uh, moving at a high rate of speed. So this stuff has been going on for a while, and a lot of documents that uh, were discussed um, at the U.N., uh, you, you seldom even hear about today. But anyway, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so with that, because of the Cash-Landerman case in Texas where um, there was a lot of uh, environmental changes that took place with their, uh, with their abduction, I guess, to include a radiation anomaly on their vehicle, um, they thought because of what happened With our case, you know, how, uh, you know, we went quiet. We felt, heard these noises and all these things that happened and how it silenced the wildlife and how everything just erupted at one one time. Whatever happened with us also affected the environment. And so Mm -hmm. along with that was the idea that because what happened with us was also over the Housatonic River, uh, this big body of water, and what took place in the 80s in New York over the Hudson River, uh, Mm -hmm. again, two large bodies of water, two large rivers that are only separated by like 45 minutes of time. So they were like, well, that had a lot of witnesses. Their diner was very important in all this. They were making, you know, parts for the, you know, for the moon landing there. Um, his father's an attorney and a lawyer right now. It's credible. Let's see if we can't uh, mention the Reed's case in support of the Hudson River Valley sightings. This in it's very possible that maybe something bled over, maybe something carried over. And mm-hmm. so they did. They mentioned it. Um, Stanton Friedman was there. Linda Morton Hall was also there. And our attorney, Robert Blutchman, um, represented our family's case. And to make it legal, we issued him a check for $500 so that he was legally bound and um, was limited to what my father said was okay to talk about because he had aspirations of other positions, too, and didn't want to go too far with it. And uh, on the anniversary of that incident or the anniversary of uh, our case being mentioned at the United Nations, October 2nd, my father was killed. And and so with that um, is how everything came full circle. You know, those people Mm -hmm. that were in our diner back in the day, you know we're now bankers and judges and uh uh, influential people some not so much some you know did very well and Mm -hmm. so when i was contacted about possibly uh working with the state of massachusetts to pay tribute to my late father for advocating what happened um, you know it opened up a lot you know the radio station got involved uh, Judge Kevin Titus, who sealed the governor's citation, it was a, mm-hmm. a judge in the 30th District Court, you know, he used to eat in our diner. He, you know, he knew me as a kid. I don't remember I've him so that. much, yeah. but yeah. And so I get this call from the historical society and, uh, and they're like, uh, would you take a polygraph test? They wanted to start with something. So I took a polygraph.
1: Wow. And then
3: okay. a lawyer, lo- lo- yeah, passed it, no problem. And then um, they're like, they were pretty shocked. And then WSBS Radio gets in touch with them and they're like, yeah, you know, we, we're the ones who broadcast it, you know. And oddly enough, in a small community, the diner that we owned is still there. The radio station is still there. Um, the, the, the mining for the magnesium is just a big empty pit right now. Um, wow. It's still, it still looks a lot like it did 50 years ago. Aside okay. from a couple new homes... That's about it. It looks much the same. The bridge burned down, and they redid it, but the bridge is there, and Melanie Kirchdorfer still is there. You know, Jan Green from Unsolved Mysteries still is there. It's really kind of wow. like going back in time to me. And so, so anyway, how this thing got inducted, right? So the, um, you know, the, the city um, contacted me and said, well, Sheffield really doesn't have much of a historical society. But Great Barrington does, which is why I think H and, um, H and aliens and a few others and Unsolved Mysteries focus on mm-hmm. Great Barrington Police Department because the Great Barrington Historical Society inducted it on behalf of Sheffield because Sheffield didn't really have an historical society. So that's how this whole mm-hmm. thing gets mixed up, you know? Okay. It's like living, in, yeah. It's like living in a town that doesn't have anything, so everyone references the larger town next to it, kind of like Roswell. The the Roswell, the Roswell incident didn't happen in Roswell. It didn't. And,
2: Where did it happen?
3: She'll tell you. She's on hold. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's up the road. Same thing with us. And oh, wow! Oh wow! And so when so when the show when the shows come to do you know to interview people, they actually go to the wrong town.
2: Wow. See got what it. I mean? Got it.
3: So anyway, so, you know, yeah, but this is recognize
2: this. you guys <laughs> with a with a monument also. And I, is, that, is that what's called UFO Park out there?
3: Yeah. So, so back to the investigation thing, because all, that all kind of ties in, so it's a good question. So with the um, amount of people that witnessed this thing and us passing yeah. the polygraph, which they didn't expect, by the way, and then all of a sudden the radio station said, yeah, you know, we were part of that, um, they started to – they hired – there was an attorney that got involved, and it was the Kessler Law Firm. And so um, Debbie Kessler was the one I was dealing, uh, dealing with. It was actually her husband's law firm. And yeah. she was collecting a lot of information and validating things to see if what they were going to submit to the historical society was actually a source document. Was it actually a real document, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, and so with that, she collected an awful lot. She actually worked with the um, Roswell um, Research Library and um, – to see what she could find there along with a couple other places, but they definitely mined a lot of information from the Roswell Research Library um, in uh, Roswell, New Mexico that was actually, um, y- you know, they work hand-in-hand, I should say. Ben Hansen, who, you know, everybody knows from the TV, you know, the Travel Channel and and uh, Factor Fake, he's actually a re- uh, an FBI agent. He left the FBI, but he was an FBI agent, so he kind of had some pull. He got involved in it. And so with that, there was also, um, you know, my father used to take me to the governor's mansion when he spoke mm-hmm. to the governor. I'd sit in the kitchen and have coffee while he met everybody and talked with, talked himself with whatever it was he was going over at, in another room. And, and so Tr- Senator Christopher Dodd um, mm-hmm. knew my father. And so being politically connected a little bit, I think that really launched the interest in this because there were an awful lot of people that were children in our diner that were now uh, affluent and they were all like, no, this happened. I saw it myself, you know, I know what happened. I lived here back then. And and so that really pushed the historical society more and more and more. And the more they looked into it, the more they found. And it was like, there was no turning back now. And, uh, And so with that, um, you know, uh, the Historical Society decided to vote on it. And they said, you know, would this stand up in court? Well, he passed his polygraph test. There were markings. Um, the radio station remembers broadcasting it. They actually redid the broadcast in the 80s. So it was actually fresh in a lot of people's minds that they just reheard it. Um, uh-huh. You know, the fights and the, and the police reports that took place in our diner, I mean, there was – There were police incidences. You know, when somebody gets into a fight in a diner, there's a record of that. Said it was Mm -hmm. a paper trail. And it went before the United Nations. You know, all of it. Wow. And so so the way to get it pushed through as an historically cool event, they had to determine whether or not, just like Billy the Kid altered the railroad, did Reed's incident alter the community. Was it so profound that their incident changed that community forever? Because if you change a community forever, that's historically true. Yeah. And so that's how they got it pushed through, was that those kids that were in our diner listening to that jukebox that were witnesses, their family members, a lot of them are still alive. They all gave testimony, had it notarized. Yeah. And uh, so that's how that happened. And, but it changed um,
2: <laughs> more than that, though, Tom. It changed people's uh, attitude of be- being able to really look at this. As- not just fantasy or that's not real or something, but that, that something else is out there. And that's, you know, with you stepping up and the experience your family went through and the people in your community, I mean, that really brought it up where people could really uh, acknowledge this more and go, like, guess, yeah, something else yeah. is out there.
3: Well, it is the very first case to be deemed historically yeah. true in America. I mean, it made United. United there's no other case that's deemed true as unfortunate yeah. as it is. However, I think this opens doors for other people. But it's interesting because it's everything around it. It's not just uh-huh. the moment and the incident that we had. It, it changed that entire community. And, to, and to about the park now, so what happened with that, uh, the farmer that bought the land where this actually happened back in 1969, I mean, he owns like 2,000, something like I think 1,600 acres just in Sheffield. It's the largest dairy uh-huh. farm in, America, in New England. And um, Uh he was a witness to it, too. And his family was. So when this came out, um, there were a lot of people that wanted to be part of it, but they didn't want their name mentioned. So they passed a hat around, and they made, like, this makeshift monument for my family. Uh And it was unveiled live by ABC News New York. And um, it was put in place, and it basically had my father's name on it at first. You know, it was a tribute to my late father. And then, yeah. of course, vandalism, they sprayed it, and it started to, people started to complain about it. And so the town took it away because they thought, you know, this is dumb, this is stupid, you know, we don't need this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It makes us all look crazy. That's how they think even today. And so they moved I know, it, where right? they shouldn't have it because it, it was on private property. Um, yeah. So then I had been filming with h and Alien, like to do, like, a, a reenactment of what happened in that spot because now I leased that land. And so they didn't yeah. have to pay to... Film there shoot there it's private property and yeah. uh so um afterwards they're like did they take your monument we're like yeah and they said well we're going to help you get another one so they donated money and then uh louis Marneau uh was a uh, a sculptor who made the actual uh, piece that the uh, the plaque that h and alliance paid wow. for went into and then we've got like rita king now, as part of the park, you know, she's got a bench or will have a bench. And the wow. family, is Steve Ravon and Travis Walton and Mike Barra and Ben and all these travel channel UFO witness, they all started donating money and, and benches and okay. solar lights. And now we've got a park in the exact spot where this wow. took place, which is also really kind of cool, except that this little kind of town of Sheffield doesn't really see the, don't, you know, see how, no. you know. No, they don't get it, you know? Oh, wow. but if this was in and
2: this is one of the biggest shields I think you get, you know, for people that are into this and that even that aren't into this uh area. This is this is like uh like life altering actually. From what the way we used to think to the way people think now. You know, I've gotta tell you, I cannot believe our time is almost over, Tom. And um so so for people, where can people find you? What shows no, can they find? Isn't
3: is not isn't isn't Elizabeth still on the line? Uh, no. no. No? She never what happened? called
2: in. She never called in.
3: Well, that was strange. I thought she was online. Wow.
2: No. Yeah.
3: Interesting. She, I know she yeah. talked to me just beforehand and she asked for your number.
2: Yeah. I, she never joined oh. in.
3: Oh, my God. But, okay. But I know that...
2: Well, um we have it at www.thomasereed.com but uh they can find you on so many shows i think they can go to youtube or uh, what is it um was it unsolved mysteries and
3: yeah that that that's my personal website but that's not the ufo website if they want to know about the ufo case it's ufo park ufo park.org that's got all the stuff on it that's uh is relevant to this they can see copies of the state letters and everything. And, of course, um, you know, ThomasEReed.com. that's more my personal bio. Um, but okay. um, The other thing, too, is that we're putting together uh, an expo, a UFO event in Roswell in conjunction with the city of Roswell. And that, okay. I think, what is what <laughs> Elizabeth wanted to talk about a little bit. But that's ufoxpo.com, ufoxpo.com. And uh, we have a huge event coming. And uh, a lot of people that were involved in this case are going to be Zooming in. Um, there's going to be an awful lot of, uh, I think we've got 15 producers. Um, we've got a film fest. Uh, James Fox will be there. Uh, ben Hansen Travis Walton, Mike Barr, you know, um, you know, it, it pretty much everybody who's anybody will be there. And right now I think the tickets are like $79. It's like nothing. And um, Wow. It's, it's going to just be an off uh, Tyrone Vaughn is going to, the nephew of Steve Ray Vaughn um, is going to raffle off a guitar and BB King's daughter, Rita King, who wow. sponsors our park is going to be saying a few words. So it's a pretty big thing. Um, there's going to be like 40 vendors. It's going on for three days. It's a combination of film fest. There's going to be cosplay girls there. There's going to be, uh, you know, films being shown on the outside of a buildings, um, you know, next to like beer tents and stuff, and it's mm-hmm. going to be uh, uh, you know the R two D two the you know kind of thing, the robots in there, and and it's going to be it's huge. It's going to we're it's the Roswell Convention Center, and it's March tenth,
2: eleventh, and twelfth. I'm thank sorry. Thank you. I was going to ask. I was just asking. March tenth, eleventh, <laughs> and twelfth. And what's that? What's yeah. that uh, website again that they can go to? Uh,
3: well, UFO the dot com. Okay, but it's it's spelled differently. It's u f o x p o dot com. It's it. not e x. It's yeah. And then the park is u f o park dot org. And you'll actually see the whole incident, um, you know, with the uh, unveiling of the monument and the ABC News uh, team that filmed it. You'll actually see that. And I've got those links there as well as the H and Aliens uh, uh, piece where they. Um, actually went right down the road where we you know where this happened and walked with me mm-hmm. through the bridge and um and did a reenactment i mean that's on there
2: i watched that so this, oh, that was so cool yeah. yep oh you
3: just yeah okay cool yeah they yep. did a good job with that actually except they made it look like an ice cream cone there <laughs> you go <know?
2: laughs> well you know i'd love to i'd love to ask if we could be on again and then we could have uh liz on and then we can talk about the Roswell Museum and everything else like that. Would you be interested in coming back on, Tom?
3: Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. All right,
2: beautiful. Then we get Liz on. That would be fabulous. Yeah. I just want to thank you so much for joining us tonight because your story is phenomenal. To me, it really is. It's more of an earth-shaking, eye-opening, uh, big event which really changed uh, changed the world. So uh, thank you really for coming on and sharing your story with us tonight because um, – I just find it amazing,
0: really amazing.
3: No, yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess I kind of took up a lot of time here. You know, just kind of, I didn't have time to take any questions from anybody, or um, but I, I can do that if you have a minute. Or we you running over time, or does it look like we're, we're up?
2: We're we're actually just, up on time right now. But uh, we could have okay. we could actually have you back on and,
3: um, okay,
2: and do this again if you're okay with that and get Liz back on. It'll oh be no fabulous. no.
3: No, that's fine. I just didn't know if we had time to take one question or not, but I guess time's up. So I yeah. will uh, just give me a time, and I'll come back. I'd love to come back and, and uh, fill everybody in and, and uh, maybe cross some T's and dot some I's and have Elizabeth on. So thank you so much. everyone, uh, And have a great holiday.
2: You too. Thank you, Tom. Have a great night.
3: Uh, you too.
2: All right. Thanks, everyone. And uh, thanks, and make sure you join us again next week here at uh, – Jori and the Coffee Psychic. This is your psychic connection at Blog Talk Radio. Good night, everyone.